right, let's, uh, let's stand and invite the Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be here. We pray that your spirit would speak into our hearts, that we would catch another glimpse of who you are, Lord. Reveal yourself as you revealed yourself to others, God. May we see you and may we be transformed by your glory, God. Flesh cannot do this, but your spirit can. And this is what we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I want, um, I, want to, I want you guys to think about a time in your life when you were really looking forward to something. Like something that you were really, really excited about. I can share one of mine, and maybe I'll ask a couple of you guys to share. Uh, for me, I remember when I was a kid, and my parents would tell me, hey, we're going to Disneyland. And I was just, like, laying in bed the night before, and I was so excited that I couldn't, I, I literally could not contain my excitement. I couldn't sleep, which was weird, you know, as a kid, you usually just knock out and everything, but I, I could not sleep. Or, when I was waiting for the birth of our daughter, I was very excited about that. And uh, the due date was like, you know, end of February, but all, you know, my wife's sister and her mother, all the kids came early. So it was like, you know, three weeks early. So I was expecting her beginning in February. And I'm like, why isn't she here yet? Okay. And then every night we would go to sleep and I'm like, God, maybe tonight is the night that we're gonna meet our baby, you know? And we pray. And we wake up in the morning, and nothing. <laughs> and for like weeks, you know, this happened. And it was so difficult, because I just wanted to meet my child already. Like, who is she? You know, like, I was so excited to just hug her, to give her a kiss. And every day, like, she wouldn't come. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was crazy. The, for the next, our next baby that's due in August, I'm just not expecting. I'm just like... She'll get here when she gets here, you know? Second kid. Yeah, second kid. Second kid. Uh, yeah. Um, I love her a lot, but I'm not going to torture myself uh, like that. So, maybe some of you guys have something that you were really excited about, that you were really, really looking forward to. Anybody want to share? Getting the first phone. Getting your first phone, yeah? Before camp, the night before camp. The night before camp, yes. I remember that like, you got everything packed up and ready, and you're just like, What? The night before Christmas, yes. You're like, what's in those gifts? Anybody else? Graduation. Graduation, yes. Night before your birthday, yes. The night before summer break. Last day of school, yeah. So you guys understand that feeling, right? The food, the night before breakfast, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so we we all have that. But why am I why am I bringing this up, guys? Why am I asking? Because in history, there is a moment. There is a moment where the entire spiritual world, all the angels, they held their breath. They were waiting in anticipation for this moment to come, to happen. 
And that moment is the arrival of Jesus Christ onto earth, right? Christmas. All creation held its breath in waiting, in longing for God's Savior to enter into the world. In fact, it wasn't just the angels. It was also the Jews. It was the entire Old Testament was waiting and longing for the arrival of God's Savior. Where the, the biblical word is God's Messiah. You guys know what Messiah means? What does it mean? No? What does it mean, Messiah? So first of all, do you know that the word Christ literally means Messiah? So Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. And you're like, well, that doesn't tell me anything. Messiah was, Messiah literally means the anointed one. And you're like, that still doesn't tell me anything. What does anointed mean? Anointed is when in the Old Testament there would be a special person like a king or a high priest. And they would be put into office. Like they begin their service. They begin their position. The Someone else, like another prophet or another priest, would pour special like perfume or oil all over them. And that was called the process of anointing. And, and you would only do that for special people. So Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the anointed one, the special one, or God's special person. And this is the entire Old Testament keeps promising. There's so many promises of saying God will send His special person. God will send His Messiah. And He will save His people. And today, what I want to look at are certain aspects of the Old Testament that are pointing to Jesus. And, and the name of this message is Jesus Christ, the long-awaited one. The long-anticipated one. You realize that the arrival of God's Son here on earth is a bigger deal than any of these things that we just named. It's more exciting. It was more exciting. There was more anticipation than all that we just talked about. In fact, it was so important that it literally splits history in half. Like, we, we, started, we restarted counting our years because of the importance of the arrival of God's Messiah onto this planet. Like, imagine how important that is. Imagine what would need to happen today for us to restart counting our years. Like that's how big of a deal it was. And I'm going to look at it from three aspects. First of all, God's Messiah is the prophet. And, and th what I want to start with is Moses. You guys remember the story of Moses, right? The people of Israel were where before? Egypt. Were they like kings and ruling in Egypt? They were slaves in Egypt, right? So they were being used and manipulated. And Moses was used and sent by God to save them from slavery. And more importantly, Moses was a prophet. Moses gave them God's word, right? And he led them to the promised land. The reason the prophet was very important in the Old Testament, not just Moses, but any prophet, is because the prophet was that special person who gave the people truth 
from God, right? Like, they don't know something, and then God would reveal something to the prophet, and the prophet would speak to the people. The prophet was the one who gave directions to the people from God. Without the prophet, the people would be lost and in the darkness. But the prophet revealed to them light and guidance from God. I think I shared this for the staff in preparation, but I remember, I remember that one time I was in, uh, in Russia in 2012, and my cousins were like, hey, you want to do something fun? I'm like, yeah, I want to do something fun. I was like, there's an abandoned mental institution in the forest. Do you want to visit that at night? I'm like, yeah, I want to visit an abandoned mental institution in the middle of the forest at night. So we drive there, and it's 12 a.m. We pull up to this... And we're like, all right, let's check out. And it's, it's this five-story building. And, like, parts of it are, like, collapsed all the way through. Like, you know, so you got to be careful not to fall down. Um, and we show up, and I'm like, okay, guys, where are the flashlights? And everyone's like, like, nobody brought a flashlight. Guys, like, what is this, your first time going to an abandoned mental institution at night? Like, where are your flashlights? So this was 2012. Like, we didn't have, like, a lot of smartphones. So... Guess who was the only person with the flashlight? Me. And my flashlight was literally on my phone, my little iPhone 4. Yeah, those existed. And so just think about how precious that light became to us in that moment. Right? We live in a world of lights. We've got street lights, we've got night lights, we've got everything. Like, we have problems being in the dark. Right? Like, we can't. We, we need to try to be in the dark. But back in ancient Israel, in these times when they didn't have electricity and they didn't have lights, darkness was very common. It was very normal. Just, just imagine, like, if we just would blindfold you for the rest of the day. Like, how frustrating would that be? You would need someone to, like, lead you around because you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to hurt yourself. It's very painful. It's very difficult. It's very frustrating. It's scary. And we don't understand it because we don't live in this kind of darkness today. But, but these people, they understood. And so for them, the prophet was that flashlight. That light from God revealing like, this is the path. Careful, don't trip over this rock. This is the way to go. This is where you will find food. This is where you will find safety and life. The prophet was the one who brought clarity out of confusion. The prophet, imagine you're driving with your friends and you're lost somewhere in the woods in some back alleys and some, you know, meth territory. And you're like, ah, oh, man, there's bears, cougars, and meth heads around here. I'm scared. And the prophet was like the Google Maps that you punch in and it just says, oh, just turn left, right, right, left, left, and you'll be home. Thank God for Google Maps. That was the prophet in the days of Israel. And Jesus is the long-awaited prophet. In the Old Testament, in fact, we see that Moses gave a prophecy about him. Deuteronomy 18.15, it says, The Lord your God, Moses speaking to the people of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
Check out what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're going to have a prophet. And in fact, he will be greater than me because you've got to listen to him. Not even, don't even listen to me anymore. Listen to him. And it's amazing. Have you guys ever studied the similarities between Moses and Jesus? It's wild. Both of them were born during dangerous times, right? The Pharaoh was trying to kill the baby boys. Herod was trying to kill baby boys at the birth of Jesus. They barely escaped. Moses had a connection to Egypt. Jesus fled to Egypt when he was a kid. Both Jesus and Moses performed miracles, mighty miracles. Both Moses and Jesus gave God's people the word of God. Both Moses spent 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Moses was the adopted son of the king. Jesus is the king of the most high God. It's amazing. There's a lot of other parallels between Moses and Jesus. We see that Moses gave the people of Israel, or through Moses, God gave bread and sustained them and gave them life to survive in the wilderness where there is no food. And through Jesus, God the Father gives the living bread, who is Jesus, who gives us eternal life. So that we can survive in this wilderness of sin called earth until he brings us home into his eternal home. Moses led the people of God out of slavery, physical slavery. Jesus leads us, his people, out of spiritual slavery to sin. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is not a coincidence, guys. The life of Moses and the words of Moses, they are an anticipation. They are a prophecy. They're a prediction of God's greater prophet who was to come. Hebrews 3.3 says, For Jesus has been counted more worthy, has counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. John 1.16 For from the fullness of Christ we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. This is the contrast. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is far greater than Moses. Not only did he give us God's word like Moses did. Right? Moses gave us God's word. But Jesus not only gave it to us, he fulfilled it for us. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. Jesus is the long-awaited one. The next thing we see, so we talk about prophet. Let's talk about king. We all know the story of David, right? He's a little shepherd boy. Again, this common image of shepherds. He's a shepherd boy. And... You know, eventually he was anointed king and he delivered Israel from their enemies, right? The story of Goliath, the enemy that was too strong for them. He kills them and he rules the nation of Israel, protecting it, right? And giving justice. So the importance of the king was what what was like the king's job? Like what was the king's job description? 
just to sit around and like be a boss. Like, hey, you bring me some grapes, you know, you know, flap faster with your palm trees, right? What was the rule? Like, why did they even want a king or have a king? To rule a country. But what does that mean? What, what does that actually mean? Yeah. To protect, right? To protect the people from their enemies. And two, to administer justice. What that means is whenever someone would do something evil, it was the king's job to figure it out, to say, you've done evil and you will be punished accordingly. Because the problem is, if you don't maintain justice, what's the opposite of justice, guys? Corruption, right? Corruption. It's where, you know, someone does something wrong, they come to the judge, hey, here's some money. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did nothing wrong, right? That's corruption. Justice is the opposite. It's giving to each as he has deserved. If you do not maintain justice in a nation, the nation will collapse. It will fall apart because of corruption. There's actually, there, I was uh, listening to a book and they, they were talking about Africa and the poverty that they have in, in, in Africa and all the problems. And they say, Africa's biggest problem is not a lack of resources. Africa's biggest problem is corruption. Because all the resources that all the countries give to Africa, they never make it down to the people because it gets stolen halfway through. The people that were supposed to take it from them and give it to the people it was intended for actually steal those resources and become rich off of it. Corruption. It was the king's job to maintain justice and to avoid corruption. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. This is a prophecy that God actually himself gives to David. 2 Samuel 7, starting with verse 12. God speaking to David says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, that's your son or your child, or your child's child, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He, will, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity or sin, I will discipline him with the rod of men. It's a stick. With the stripes. That's a whipping, right? With the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love, I will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, that was the previous king, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. This is an amazing prophecy because actually God fulfills it twice. Through Solomon and then through Jesus, the greater king. First of all, he says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. Jesus fulfills that. That's why we have the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew in the very beginning. He says, I will establish his kingdom. And you know what's amazing? We see this happening today. We see God, the kingdom of Jesus being established Anybody want to guess how many Christians there are in the world today? About 2 billion. 2 billion Christians. 
if you count Catholics. No kingdom has two billion people. And it's growing still to this day. And it's not about it's not about numbers, but the point is his kingdom has been established, and not just here on earth, but think about his kingdom that will reign and rule forever. It's going to be the only kingdom that will last for all of eternity. All other kingdoms will crumble. It says, He shall build, he, that means your son, shall build a house for my name. Yes, Solomon built the physical temple. But Jesus is building the spiritual temple. Do you know that in the Bible, we are called the temple of God? The people of God are called the temple of God. Because the Spirit of God now lives, not in a physical place, but now lives in His people, in His believers. And so we are the temple of God, the church of God. And Jesus is called the cornerstone, meaning the foundation of the temple of God, which are the people of God. Jesus is building His church today. He is building God's house for His name today. And says, I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Solomon died. His kingdom ended. Jesus died, but He rose again. And His kingdom continues to reign. His kingdom continues to prosper, to grow. And it will continue to do so forever. It says, when he commits iniquity or sin, I will discipline him with, rod, with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. And we see that Solomon sinned, and Solomon was actually punished for his sin. Jesus never sinned. And yet Jesus was also punished. Because he became sin for us. Jesus was whipped with the stripes of men. For our sin. It's amazing how he fulfills even this part. The part about the punishment. Although he had no sin. Yet God did not forsake Jesus completely. Only temporarily we read. He says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. And God did not remove his love from Jesus. So. Matthew reminds us that Jesus is the son of David. Matthew 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Let's look at a few similarities. Both Jesus and David were born where? Where are they born? Bethlehem, right? Both of them were unjustly pursued by leaders, right? David was pursued by... Ooh, Saul. Jesus was pursued by the high priests, by the Pharisees. Both were betrayed by close friends. Jesus was, uh, I mean, David was uh, betrayed by Ahithophel, his close friend, his advisor. Jesus was betrayed by who? Judas. Guess what both of them did after they betrayed their friends? They both hung themselves. Ahithophel and Judas. David was a shepherd before being anointed as king. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. David upheld justice in his kingdom by cutting off all evil doers. We see that in Psalms. It says, I will cut off the wicked day by day. But we see that he still failed and sinned and he even killed and murdered a man. 
But Jesus is the righteous judge who never fails, who never sinned. He upholds justice and he will judge the world in perfection. And not only, and David, he cut off evildoers from his kingdom. Jesus Christ cuts off our sin through his sacrifice. And those who don't repent on the end, he will also cut them off from this universe. He will remove all wickedness. David was the king of Israel. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. The king of the universe. David delivered his people of Israel from their enemies. We read about that, right? Jesus Christ delivers us from eternal damnation. David saved them from an enemy that was too strong for them, Goliath. Jesus saves us from enemies that are way too strong for us. Sin, death, and the devil. Jesus is the greater king. Not just greater prophet, but also the greater king. He is the great king who lays his life down for his people. Who has defeated their greatest enemies. Who protects them and one day will return and bring us safely into his kingdom. Where we will reign and rule with him forever. Jesus is the long-awaited king. Guys, let's take a moment right now and just stand up. High-five your neighbors. I'm going to help those that are taking naps around you guys. If someone's sleeping, wake them up. High-five your neighbors. And tell them that Jesus is the long-awaited king, right? All right, you may be seated. Broken families, lies, 
None of those existed. All that existed was perfection. There was no death. There was no pollution. There was no sin. There was nothing unclean, nothing perverted, nothing ugly at all. Literally nothing negative. Because that's the way God creates things. And when God created Adam and Eve, He gave them the entire world to rule over. But the problem is, what did they do, guys? What did they do? They sinned. They sinned. Thank you. They disobeyed God, and because of that, the world has been broken ever since. Things just, just imagine a vase that just cracks. And, and we feel and we see this brokenness every single day. Whether, it be, whether you feel that brokenness in your back, or in your relationships, or in your heart. Health problems, family problems, problems in our own head, financial problems, fears, worries, anxieties. All of these things are a result of the fall. And, you know, many people who are not Christian, they say, if God is so good, why doesn't He just end evil today? Why does He allow evil to happen? Why does God allow school shootings to happen? If God is so good, why does He allow these evils to go on? You know what the problem is? If God were to say, okay, tomorrow, Monday, June 20th, 2022, I'm going to remove all evil from the world. You know what the problem is? There'd be nobody on earth left. All of us, including you, starting with me, would be swept away by God's righteous wrath. Because of all the evil that lives in our own hearts. Because if God's going to clean all evil, that means everything. Not just the murderers, not just the adulterers. He's got to remove all little roots of it. You guys ever need to like weed your garden before? Right? Anybody ever have to do that? Yeah. Well, you don't just pull out the big weeds, right? And the little ones, oh, they're so small, they're so harmless. No, you, you know what's going to happen if you leave the little weeds there. Any little trace of them, they're going to start flourishing again. And that's the same exact problem with evil. It started with just disobeying God. It didn't start with murder. It just started like, what's the big deal, God? It's just another fruit. Like, you don't want my eyes to be open to the knowledge of good and evil. It all started with a tiny little seed. And look at what it's grown into. And that same evil, that same seed of evil lives in the heart of all of us. We know we all, in our heart of hearts, that we have done wrong. That we have done bad things, we have said bad things, we think bad things often. And this is what the amazing thing is. God found a way to remove all evil without removing all people. And that's the gospel. And we're going to explain that in a second. But in the Old Testament, before Jesus Christ came and solves this problem of evil without destroying people, there had to be sacrifices. Like animals had to die. 
You know, we, we, we talked about Romans yesterday, right? The wages of sin is death, right? And so, this is why the animals had to be killed. They had to, it was a life for a life. Every time, imagine like, in the Old Testament, you sin. And then you get convicted, and you're like, oh man, God, I'm so sorry, that was a sin. God commanded, you need to take one of your property, one of the little animals, just imagine one of your pets, right? You need to take one of your pets, one of these animals that you know, you need to bring them to the priest, and the priest was a professional butcher who would put that thing on the altar and slit its throat, and you would watch it die and bleed out. And you would realize, as you're watching this bloody, gruesome scene, you would realize that as this thing is struggling for its last breath, it was, that was me. That was my sin. I was supposed to be the one on the altar and die for my sin, but instead, God allowed an animal to be killed instead of me. And we read in the, Old Test in the New Testament that the Old Testaments, they didn't cover sin permanently. They were just a symbol, they were a foreshadow, a prediction of the ultimate sacrifice that would be made once and for all by Jesus Christ for all people, Old and New Testament. So those sacrifices were just little pointers to the real sacrifice that was going to be made. It was a time of what the Bible calls forbearance, when God patiently waited as those sins were collecting up, because he knew that he would pay the price with his own son for all of these sins. And we read Hebrews 10, 5, quoting this Psalm 40, verse 6 in the Greek. He says, Sacrifices and offerings, God, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. It was clear even in the Old Testament that the sacrifices were not enough. There had to be something more. And it's amazing. We see the similarities between the priests and Jesus. Again, both of them offered sacrifices to cover sin. The Levites, we read in the Bible, that they would begin their public ministry at what age? They become priests at what age? 30. When did Jesus begin his ministry? 30, right? Guys, this is not a coincidence. This is God's plan from the very beginning. The priests were just a little foreshadow. They were a little prediction of the one who was to come, the great awaited one. The high priest had to stay pure from ceremonial uncleanliness, which means like they couldn't touch dead bodies, they couldn't touch unclean animals. They had to be very careful to be pure so that when they stand before the presence of God, so that they would not be destroyed by God, by His holiness. Literally, Yusuf was talking about this yesterday. When the priest would go into the holies of holies once a year to offer sack, to sprinkle the blood, they would literally have a rope around his ankle and a little bell so they could hear him walking around. And if the bell stopped ringing, you know what would happen? You know what, what they realized? He's dead. But they can't have anybody go in there because they would die too. So they would literally drag his corpse out of the holies of holies because he went in when he was unclean. Jesus was completely pure. Not just from ceremonial uncleanliness, but he had no sin. 
So when he entered into the presence of God and offered his life as a sacrifice, it was accepted once and for all. We also see that the legitimacy of birth was essential for high priests. They had to have their like family records straight, leading up and connecting back to the first high priest who was Aaron. And if they couldn't, if they couldn't prove it, they couldn't be high priest. Jesus' records, Jesus' genealogy is just as important. And that's why two of the Gospels, two of four, list his genealogy. We also see that how he's different than the high priest. Hebrews talks a lot about this if you want to research this. We see there are many high priests. Jesus was one high priest. We see the priests were sinful sinners. Jesus was holy, innocent, and unstained. We see that the high priests offered sacrifices for themselves and for the people. Jesus only offered a sacrifice for the people. They entered a man-made tent, a man-made temple. Jesus entered the holies of holies in heaven, the tent made by God. Their sacrifices were temporary. It had to be repeated every year. Jesus' was permanent once and for all. Guys, you know, I, I love, I just love all these parables of Jesus. I don't know, maybe you guys are just like boring, but for me, I'm like geeking out on this. You know, we talked about the holies of holies, right? So do you know how the temple works? So imagine this whole building is the temple, right? Including behind there. And let's say the holies of holies was kind of the room in the back, and it was the room behind the curtain, right? And they could only go into the curtain, one person, once a year, would go in with the rope and the bells, and he would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, which was kind of like this golden thing that they built, where God literally like dwelt at that time. Once a year. It's dark in there, probably didn't see it, he just walks in in the dark, sprinkles the blood, and moves away as quickly as possible to not die. We read that when Jesus finished his sacrifice on the cross, we read that there was an earthquake. And do you know what that earthquake did? Like, as soon as he died, there was an earthquake. And do you know what the earthquake did? It tore that curtain that separated the holies of holies from the rest of the temple where the people could be. It says that the curtain was torn. And there's a very important detail that Mark and Matthew both put that the curtain was torn, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. What that means is the sacrifice of Jesus was so pleasing when he went into the holies of holies. It was so pleasing to God that God himself tore the curtain. He tore the curtain. So that we are no longer separated from God. Guys, think about that. Instead of letting all of us go in behind the curtain, God tears the curtain. And His presence propagates to all His people. And now we are His temple. And now His Spirit doesn't live behind the curtain, but He lives inside of us. Because Jesus is the great high priest who has made the great sacrifice once and for all. Like how beautiful is that? It's done. There's no more. God's not there in the temple anymore. He's not there. 
He's here with us. And there is no longer this veil that is separating us and God. God is now with us. And lastly, the priests, they offered an innocent lamb as a sacrifice. But Jesus offered his own self. He laid his own life down. And that's why Jesus is also called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's the gospel, isn't that? That we sinned, we deserve to be the ones that are laid, laid, laid rest onto the altar and whose throats are slit and bleed out because of my actions, because of my sins. That's what I deserved. But instead of Jesus taking us and putting us on and administering justice and killing us, Jesus lays his own life down on the altar of the cross and he dies for us. So in conclusion, we see that the entire Old Testament is anticipating God's coming one. It's anticipating God's special person. And they didn't know who it was going to be. And many Jews, although they were anticipating him, they even rejected Jesus when they met him. They didn't know. They were like, we don't know, but we're looking forward to God's special person. We're not sure what he's going to do. He's going to do something good, and they were waiting for him. They were longing for him. And that Old Testament is full of references, full of pointers to Jesus. We only just began to scratch the surface. I encourage you guys to study this. Learn this. There's so many things. But his arrival to earth, his sacrifice and resurrection are literally the most important events in all of human history, which splits history in half. He is the long-awaited one. My question to all of us today, do you know this Jesus? The one that all the whole spiritual world and the entire nation of Israel, that they were holding their breath, waiting for him to come. Do you love him? He is our prophet who reveals to us truth from God. He is our king who protects us and will bring justice into this world and bring us into his eternal kingdom. And he is our priest who laid his own life down for our sake so that we would not have to be slain. Do you love him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving it all, all, all up for us, Lord. Help us, God. Help us understand this sacrifice. Help us just cherish that, God, and live because of your sacrifice for us. We thank you. We worship you. We pray this all in your name.